welcome to the show of Information Overload. This is Information A Go Go. I'm your host, Hayes, and today we have a brand new holiday themed episode for you. This week, Thanksgiving. Let's jump into it. So, on today's episode, we'll discuss Thanksgiving fact versus Thanksgiving myth and unpacking the story of the first Thanksgiving that we're taught in school versus what actually happened. And we'll be discussing our modern Thanksgiving traditions and how they came to be. So now let's really jump into it. Back to the start, Plymouth Rock. So more or less, the story that we are taught in school is that the Mayflower came to the new colonies and the Indians were so gracious and helped them survive that first winter And at harvest time, they celebrated with the first Thanksgiving. Now, there was a feast that did occur between the Wampanoag people and the colonizers of the Mayflower that happened in 1621, after a year of the Mayflower landing in Plymouth. What I want to know is, how were they able to communicate? Because the Wampanoag tribe had its own language. They did not speak English at the time. It turns out, they had somebody who did know how to speak English within their tribe. But to learn that story, we need to go back six years before the Mayflower's arrival. Outside the Wampanoag village of Patuxis, we meet Captain Thomas Hunt. Captain Hunt was an English captain who anchored right outside the Patuxis village where the Wampanoag people lived. He convinced them to come aboard his ship so they could trade. It wasn't until the people were already aboard they realized the captain's true nature. 20 Wampanoag people, along with seven Nuiset, were kidnapped and taken to Spain to be sold as enslaved people. Of those kidnapped included a young man by the name of Tisquantum. Tisquantum's sail was blocked by English missionaries who eventually took him to London. This is where he learned to speak English. Then in 1619, Thomas Dermer, another English sea captain, brought Tisquantum back to his village of Protoxus, where he learned the most devastating news. His entire village was gone, perished in the great dying. A combination of disease epidemics war with fighting with the colonists, and famine. 54.5 million people are said to have died in the Great Dying. This is 90% of the indigenous population of the time. Disquantum traveled with Dermer to what is today Martha's Vineyard, the island of Nope. And the village of Aquina, people of the land fought with Captain Dermer and his crew, where they eventually lost their lives and Tisquantum was taken captive. Tisquantum was eventually handed over to Osanaquin of the Wampanoag tribe. Since Tisquantum was so well-spoke in English, unlike me, (laughs) since he could speak English very well, Osanaquin made him the main translator between themselves and the Mayflower colonists. So March 22nd, 1621, Tisquantum goes down with others to the Plymouth Plantation because they're trying to form an alliance with the colonists of that area. 
Governor John Carver of the colony was unwilling to meet with them. So to ensure a good outcome, each side exchanged hostages to ensure that neither would hurt the other while they met. So Osama Quinn and Carver have their meeting and long story short, it goes well, they have no arrangements met largely in thanks to Disquantum's ability to speak both English and their native tongue. Now, why did he want an alliance? I think it's pretty obvious. After the great dying, many native tribes were devastated and Osama Quinn saw this as an opportunity to strengthen and give some protection to his people. Now on the other side of the coin, the English colonists had no idea what they were doing. Most of them had grown up in cities, so they were more used to buying their food than they were in planting, growing, and harvesting it. And they had no idea how to do it in such a different environment. So the native people introduced them to native foods such as corn and squash and beans and taught them about complementary farming, known as the Three Sisters, and taught them other techniques that were local knowledge and essential to the success of their plantation. And it worked, they had a successful harvest and the colonists of the Plymouth Plantation decided to celebrate with a great feast. And this looked like recreation, eating, socializing, and firing their weapons. It went on all day. And eventually, the Wampanoag people laid down their weapons and entered the plantation. They laid down their weapons because it was part of their alliance. They would show, you know, no sign of threat. So he laid down his weapons and he entered the plantation. And quickly he realized, uh, this food is not enough for everyone going around. All right, my hunters, hey, go get some deer, get some birds, whatever you can find, right? Go hunt a little bit, bring it back for these people so we can keep this party going. Now, interestingly, there is no historical mention of turkey being present at this feast. Typically, what they would have eaten was deer, corn, duck, beans, squash, dried berries, and seafood that they'd fished from local water sources. So this is what that first feast looked like. Why do we now think that it was turkey? You know, think Thanksgiving, you think turkey. And also, why was this feast of 1621 called the, quote, first Thanksgiving? So these, we go to the 1800s where there's a woman called Sarah Josepha Hale. And she's the editor of a magazine that is quite popular in America at the time. By the 1820s, it is one of the most popular magazines, Godey's Ladies Book. Now, this magazine was very influential at the time, and honestly, the traditions that Miss Hale put in this magazine are still around today. And I know we're talking about Thanksgiving, and I'm sure I'll mention her in other holidays, but trust me, this woman and her editorial influence is seriously remarkable. So for Thanksgiving... She introduced recipes and foods that we should be considered typical for the American family, including roast turkey, a savory stuffing, and pumpkin pies. Now, it's my understanding that a turkey was considered typical because it's a bird that was easily grown in most America's backyards and in a full farm, and it fed a lot of people, and it wasn't an 
livestock that you were raising with another purpose, like say a cow with milk. Now, Miss Sarah Hall here, like I said, was very influential. And she even petitioned the president of the United States to make Thanksgiving a national holiday because to this point, it was not. It was just a sporadic, once in a while type of thing that had no rhyme or reason. Like, let me explain to you what traditionally up to this point, what a day of Thanksgiving looked like for Europeans. Day of Thanksgiving was a day to give thanks to God. It was very much a part of the religious commitment that English colonists had. There was no set date and no set reason. It could have been from anything from a good harvest to celebrating a war victory that would give cause for Thanksgiving and they would spend the day celebrating and praying to God in Thanksgiving. So you could see why the quote unquote first Thanksgiving was viewed in this way, but it is by no means the first Thanksgiving and the mention of this feast being a first Thanksgiving wasn't mentioned until almost like 200 years later. In 1841, Boston writer Alexander Young published a book that contained a section of a letter from original colonist Edward Winslow, who was there at the Feast of 1621. Within a footnote of the book, not the initial letter, but a footnote added by Young, he calls the event the first Thanksgiving. Now this mistaken footnote that Young printed in his book gets copied over and over and over again and eventually Miss Hale encounters it and publishes it in her magazine and encourages America to give Thanksgiving feast to honor the events of the 1621 feast, although the two were not connected. Hale just had that much influence that she was able to make that tradition stick, all because of a mistaken footnote in Young's book. By 1870, school books were telling the story of the first Thanksgiving, and by the late 1880s, fiction writers were beginning to tell their version of events of the first Thanksgiving, until eventually it was no more than folklore. Now on to modern times. How did it become a national holiday? And what is the backstory behind the traditions that we celebrate today? So Thanksgiving feasts had been around for a long, long time, but there was never a national holiday where it was celebrated on one set day. Sometimes proclamations would be made by governors of the early English colonies to have a day of Thanksgiving. President George Washington had even called for a national day of Thanksgiving in 1789. But still, there was no national holiday where across the nation at a federal level, everyone was celebrating Thanksgiving. That changed in 1849 when Sarah Josepha Hall wrote in her magazine to the presidents, to people of Congress, and to governors that there needed to be a national day of Thanksgiving. She wrote for more than 14 years before anyone listened. It wasn't until the Civil War when Hale wrote to President Lincoln in 1863 that someone finally listened and Lincoln declared a National Day of Thanksgiving as a way to heal the wounds of the nation after Civil War. 
On October 3rd, 1863, President Lincoln was the first president to declare a yearly proclamation of National Thanksgiving Day that would happen on the fourth Thursday every November. In 1939, President Roosevelt changed the date to one week earlier so to lengthen the Christmas shopping season, which traditionally started the day after Thanksgiving. And finally, in 1941, U.S. government changed the law declaring the fourth Thursday of November as Thanksgiving Day, which is the holiday we know it today. In modern times, we celebrate it with football and televised parades. How did those become Thanksgiving traditions? Many of us are familiar with the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, but the idea of a store-sponsored Thanksgiving parade did not start with Macy's. It actually started in Philadelphia with the Grimmel Brothers department store, in which they had a Thanksgiving procession in 1920 with 50 people, 15 cars, and a fireman dressed as Santa Claus to usher in Christmas shopping season. Similarly, in Detroit, the Hudson Department Store also had an event in 1924, but in New York, the parade looked very different at this point, where the tradition of children painted faces and donning tattered clothes to look like quote-unquote ragamuffins would ask anything for Thanksgiving and go door-to-door asking for pennies, apples, and pieces of candy, very much like a trick-or-treating situation. It wasn't until 1924 that Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade originated. They wanted the theme to match their window display, which was nursery rhyme themes. So they had floats that looked like Mother Goose characters and the old woman who lived in a shoe, Little Miss Muffet, Little Red Riding Hood. Employees of Macy's would dress as clowns and cowboys and knights. They even, get this, had animals on loan from the Central Park Zoo. So they would have bears and elephants and camels and monkeys in a very circus-like atmosphere. They also had bands to give a very festive march to this entire thing and bringing up the rear, like we do now, Santa Claus coming in to welcome the Christmas shopping season. This looks very different, but also very similar, and you can see how it evolved to how we know a Thanksgiving parade today. And even floats, like the Mother Goose float, can still be seen today as a nod to the origins of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Now, you're not going to see live animals around and about, (laughs) thank God, but it is still an early morning activity the whole family can enjoy before going off to enjoy football. Yes, American football has always been one of those traditions linked with Thanksgiving Day, almost since its beginnings. Now, there seems to be some controversy on who played the official first Thanksgiving football game. A lot of accounts give it to Yale and Princeton game for on the college level. There's also reports that give the start of Thanksgiving football tradition to a Michigan University and Chicago Maroons game, saying that that is the beginning of Thanksgiving Day football. And you can almost see that mirrored in its NFL beginnings. The first Thanksgiving NFL game was in 1934 with the Detroit Lions, who hosted the Chicago Bears. So again, 
Michigan, Chicago. And that whole game started as a gimmick to get fans into the stadium, to get attention to the team, because they were a newer team at the time. A local radio executive, George A. Richards, had recently purchased the Ohio Spartans, which wasn't an NFL team at the time. He purchased them and moved them to Detroit, and they are now the Detroit Lions, and he needed to get them some attention. So he put on a Thanksgiving Day game. And ever since, the Detroit Lions have been playing Thanksgiving Day football. The Dallas Cowboys are another team that every year, except for two years, every year have played on Thanksgiving Day. And this year we have the addition of another game with the New England Patriots and the Minnesota Vikings. So plenty of football for all y'all that want to watch football. That is how the misunderstanding of historical events evolved into an American folktale that was used by an eager magazine editor on her mission to create a national holiday and how that holiday evolved from a sacred time of giving thanks to a ceremonial capitalistic ribbon cutting for the Christmas shopping season. So is this too much information or information galore? This is information to go-go and I hope however you celebrate, you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thank you.